I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 26 to verse 38. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26 to verse 38. And if you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1016. Luke is the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Then following Luke is John's gospel. Let us now hear God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to focus primarily on verses 31 to 35 this morning. I remember preaching on this last year. I focused on different verses, but this morning I want to focus on those particular verses and ask the question, is anything impossible for God? Now, to be sure, it is impossible for God to sin or be tempted by sin. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God's works according to God's nature, who he is and his being. And is anything impossible for God? Here you have two women. You have Elizabeth, who was barren and then passed the point of possibly conceiving a child. She was in her older age. And now you have Mary, who is young, very young, a teenage girl, and she is without a husband. She's betrothed, but not married and has not been with her husband yet. And God does two miracles, one towards Elizabeth and now one in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And by the power of the Most High God, the Virgin Mary will conceive a child in her womb and give birth to God's one and only Son, who is our Lord. Who is our Lord? Look with me in your Bible at chapter 2, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He is Savior, Jesus. He is Christ, the Anointed One. And this morning we look at Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. The child in Mary's womb is Lord. Is anything impossible for God? Surely not. The birth of God's one and only Son, our Lord, is so profound and beyond the wisdom of man that only God could ordain and initiate such a salvation for lost sinners like you and me. As I have repeatedly said, God must send God to earth to save sinners because man cannot save himself. God the Father sent God the Son to save sinners. And God the Holy Spirit applies that salvation to the heart in each and every Christian who have been called by God's purpose and will. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, one eternal God works this great miracle for nothing is impossible for, with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And here we have God's one and only Son, our Lord, being promised to be in the Virgin Mary's womb. Think about that, ladies. Think about that. How profound and deep those thoughts were, those words were to the Virgin when she heard those words from the angel. In fact, did she not try to discern what this greeting meant? What is going on here? You would call me blessed? Favorite of the Lord? Oh yeah, Mary, here's why. You will conceive in your womb and bury son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. First, we want to look at the Christ child is the eternal Son of God. The Christ child is the eternal Son of God. Sometimes they say that when you write a sentence, you want to use uh, more powerful verbs. You don't want to use a to-be verb like is. But I find no more powerful word when we refer to God or we would talk about God. God, the Christ child in Mary's womb, is is the eternal Son of God. That verb has such powerful meaning. It's loaded with meaning. And we'll look at that in this first point. The Christ child is the eternal Son of God. God sends his messenger, an angel, one who goes on a mission for the Lord God. God gives him a, a mandate to make this announcement to the Virgin Mary. And Gabriel announces this good news to the virgin that she will carry in her womb God's one and only son, saying that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Very much Old Testament usage here of God's title, who God is. He is the Most High God. And in fact, you'll find in some context in the Old Testament, he is God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. He is higher above the heavens. He is above the heavens, heavens. He dwells in infinity, in eternity. 
He is beyond comprehension and yet makes himself known to his people by his word. The child, the Christ child, is the eternal son of the Most High. That is, he is the son of God. Because later on, if you look in the passage with me, look with me at verse 35 there, 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Son of God. How can this be, Mary says. I I do not know a man. How can this be, says Mary. I'm a virgin. Well, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This idea of overshadowing was used at the transfiguration when, when the glory of God overshadowed the three disciples that were there. God will protect this child, this Christ child, from the stain of sin, the stain of original sin. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and this child in such a way that the Christ child to be born, the eternal Son of God, will not know sin. He will be holy, the Son of God. Now when we think about Son of the Most High, there's a saying that we use in theology in terms of studying a passage like this. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God or the Son of the Most High? We think of in terms of his essence or being. We use the word ontology, ontologically. That is his state of being. His very essence is divine. We're not talking about him functioning as a son. We're talking now about who he is in his very being. That the Christ child in Mary's womb is the eternal son of God. At the right time in human history, God fulfills his promise made through the prophet Isaiah 700 years or more before the angel makes this announcement. And now it's becoming a reality at a point in human history because history is linear. Many of the world views back in that day was a circular view of history. But history... Time is linear, and there's a point in time, a historical point in time, when the Christ child came, the eternal Son of God, is in the womb of Mary, possessing a truly divine nature. Friends, process this for a for a while, processes the, your entire life. You can see why the people of Israel had a hard time with Jesus, right? Can you see how he, they had a hard time with him? There's only one God. You shall worship no other God. You shall not make an image. Well, here, Jesus claims to be God, God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God in the flesh. Why did they crucify him? Because this Christ child in Mary's womb is the eternal son of God and made his claim to be such in his earthly ministry. 
He was crucified because he made himself to be God, the Son of God. It's a profound mystery of Christmas. In a world that talks about loving one another without having any substance or foundation behind that. In a world that talks about being kind to one another without any having any standard or justification for saying that. The foundation that we say that this is a time where we learn about God's love is when we look at the Christ child who is love. That God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The eternal son of God assumed human flesh. So we can see how this uniqueness of the eternal son of God was a great stumbling block among the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. Only, the, only God the Son can save us from God's wrath and judgment against sin. Only God the Son can save us from the bondage of sin. Only God the Son can save us from death and the devil's stronghold over fallen human beings. Only God the Son, the eternal Son of God, can do what man cannot do. In other words, God did everything for you and me, sinner. Everything. He initiated. He ordained. He did all this to save sinners. Wow. That's why I love Christmas hymns. I love them. They're beautiful. They're sound. They're deep and rich. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13, asks this. It's the first question of Lord's Day 13. Why is he called God's only begotten Son? Begotten there is a difficult word in the Greek and translated, we can say unique, or I like the NIV's translation, one and only. He's one of a kind. One of a kind of matchless worth nobody can stand beside him and in in so many words begotten is is jam-packed with many english words or phrases that can define it why is he that is jesus called god's only begotten son when we also are god's children and the answer is because christ alone is the eternal natural son of god That is, he's the eternal, natural son of God. When the angel said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear his son, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. God will do that great miracle in the womb of Mary. And Jesus will be a fetus, a human being, a person. Apart from a human man. Thereby making him the one and only son of God. Eternal son. Because Christ alone is the eternal son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God. Adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. Jesus, the only begotten or the one and only son is the natural, true Son of God. 
by right, by nature, according to his essence or being. We, however, because we are fallen by nature, sinners by nature, at enmity with God, need to be adopted into God's family to be called sons and daughters of God. Not every human being is God's child, as some of the songs go this time of the year. We are all God's children. No. You're either a child of the devil or you're a child of God. And God, the Son, the eternal Son of God, assumed human flesh so that through faith in his name, we become adopted sons and daughters of God. Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know this, Jesus? Do you know this, Jesus? You see, many people believe Jesus was a man. That's not the hard thing to get over. Many extra-biblical writers, that is, those books that are out there by historians back in the first century, wrote about a man called Jesus. That's not the hard thing. Can you confess him as Christ, your God. That takes faith and a work of God in our hearts. My Lord and my God, said Thomas, remember? God revealed to him after he saw Jesus, the ascended or the resurrected Jesus, my Lord and my God. Secondly, the Christ child is the son of David. Look with me in the Bible again. This is, this is interesting. He says, he will be great, verse 32, and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. The Lord God will give to him, that is the Christ child, the throne of his, that is the Christ child's father, David. So we have the Christ child is the eternal son of God. Now we have the Christ child is the son of David. He will have a human nature. In one sentence, the angel claims his divine nature. And in the second part of that sentence, he claims that he will be the offspring of David, his father. He will be king, the promised king. To accomplish the plan of salvation, God chose to bring his son into the world so that he shared in our likeness our same human likeness yet without sin, to be our perfect substitute for sin. Because, Christian, you do realize that we deserve punishment for our sins, right? 
We do realize that, right? That we've offended God's majesty. We do realize that we need a Savior. We need a substitute for sin. Somebody who takes our place. And God gives us the second Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the first Adam sinned and broke covenant with God. In fact, this is why in Luke chapter 3, you have the genealogy. And the genealogy goes from Jesus all the way to the son of Adam. To the, to the creation of Adam, who is the son of God. And now God brings us, delivers to man the true son of Adam, the son of David, Jesus Christ. And it is through faith in Jesus we are made righteous because his righteousness, righteousness is credited to our accounts, imputed to us. And through the second Adam, or the last Adam, we find and enter rest eternal in God's presence. And God also sends his son to assume our nature so that he will be our eternal king. And we spoke of that briefly last week. The Lord God will give him Christ, the Christ child, the throne of his father, the son's father, David. And he will reign, look at me, verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. According to his humanity, this Christ child will be the son of David. David's offspring and the promised Messiah who will reign and rule. The promise given in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he will function as a son. Remember before I said in his very being, he's the son of the eternal God. Now he functions as a son. In that he rules and reigns at the father's right hand over all creation, over all things, over our hearts, over our lives, Christians. And Israel anticipated the day of his coming, of the Messiah. However, at his coming, their eyes were hidden from seeing the Messiah for who he is because they were lost in darkness and sin. They did not turn to Jesus, did not turn to the Messiah. Because he is the son of David, he will inherit and has inherited the eternal throne of his father, David. He is David's son and functions as an eternal king over his people and, in fact, over all creation. So not only in his very being he is God, the son, but he functions as a son, a king. And we need to remember that in the Old Testament, the kings of Israel functioned as sons of God. They were given the title son. I will be your father, you will be to me like a son. And so a king was a representative of God himself and functioned as if he was God's son. He ruled as God's son. He reigned over the territory and over the people as God's son. And here we have the eternal son of God who will reign and rule 
over all things as a son. And this is the Christ child in Mary's womb. Who will grow up living a righteous life, a perfect life. Make a perfect sacrifice for sins on behalf of his people. It can be rightly said that Jesus is the mother of God, the one who paid the penalty for the sins of his people, including Mary's sins. She didn't immaculately conceive in that she was without sin. That is not true. Mary herself even considers herself a sinner in need of her son by birth. The salvation of Jesus that he offers. She needed her own son to save her from her sins. And to rule over her life as a son of David. Son of David, have mercy on us. We hear in the Gospels. Well, the Christ child is the eternal son of God, the Christ child is the son of David, the Christ child is David's Lord and our Lord. Hence he is God's one and only son, our Lord, as our confession of faith states. In Mark chapter 12, we have this teaching, Jesus was in the, in the temple teaching And he said, how can the scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Quoting Psalm 110. And then Jesus says, David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Yes, he is the offspring of David, but more than that, he is Lord. He is David's Lord. He is the eternal Son of God who is Lord of all. And what does it mean for us, brothers and sisters, to confess that Jesus is Lord? When you confess that Jesus is Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? When we confess that Jesus is Lord, that He is kurios, kurios, we are saying that He Christ our Lord holds the highest honorable title and position over all things. He holds the highest possible title. King of kings, Lord of what? Lords. Not only that, but we are confessing Jesus is Lord. We are also confessing that he has Supreme authority over all things. When you think of a king having dominion and reigns over a particular area, he has dominion over that area. Jesus has dominion and authority over all creation. He has dominion and authority over all governments of the world, over all presidents and kings and princes, and they are all called to bend the knee to him. And submit to him. You and I are called to submit to Jesus. As Lord. Revelation 19 says. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. 
with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You could put every army on planet earth together and they don't have a single thing on Jesus, the Lord. By one word from his breath, he can wipe away any enemy he so desires. And that's what will happen in the last day. So this Christ child, this Christ child is Lord. And he will exercise his lordship in due time. He is exercising it now. And friends, this means, this means that he has absolute ownership rights over you. He owns you, Christian. When we call him Lord, we are also saying that he is possessor and disposer of all things. The Lord gives and the Lord what? Takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has the authority to do this. You see, Jesus didn't become Lord when he was starting his earthly ministry. He didn't become Lord when he was baptized in the River Jordan. He didn't become Lord at some point when he was a human being. No, Jesus is Lord at thy birth because he is the only one and only Son, our Lord. Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. The Son of God was and always will be Lord. The Catechism, Lord's Day 13, again asks, Why do you call him Lord? Because not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, he has delivered and purchased us, body and soul, from sin and from the tyranny of the devil, to be his very own. To be his very own. Ownership. Ownership. He went through great measures. Why? To own you, Christian. Do not question or doubt God's love for you in Christ because he owns you. He's your Lord. He's your Lord. In the days of the early church, in wrapping this up, in, in the early church, the people of God were persecuted greatly by the Roman Empire. And they had a short and sweet confession of faith. And it is this. It is this. Jesus is Lord. Did you know that? That was their simple confession of faith. You had two options. Caesar is Lord and suffer the consequences. Whatever that entailed. Wherever they were in the Roman Empire at the time. Kiss the emblem of Caesar and cry out Caesar is Lord or say Jesus is Lord. I don't know, maybe the time is a coming. Where you, Christian, are pushed against the wall 
I need to make that confession. Have you submitted to his lordship? Listen to what I'm asking and what the Bible asks of us or commands of us, rather. You see, a person may claim Jesus to be Savior. Oh, I believe Jesus died for my sins. But I'm not going to submit to his will, his lordship. Well, that's not Christianity. Again, I say, as I did last week, it's either all of Jesus and all of who he is, or it's none of him. He's either Savior and Christ and Lord, or he's none of those things. If you believe that he's Savior, then you must believe that he is Lord, submitting under his will and gracious reign in your life. It was this title of Lord that drew men from the east to come and worship him. It was that message from the angels to the shepherds, to you is born, you poor shepherd, you shepherd that is hated by the people and despised by the people. It is to you, sinner, that in the city of David, in Bethlehem, is born to you, Christ, our Lord, who is Savior. Come and worship him. Come and worship him. Whether a person believes or not, Jesus is Lord anyway. He will exercise his lordship over the nations and his church, and every, bow, every knee will bow to his lordship. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 says, after speaking of the incarnation of Jesus and his humility, Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? He is Lord. And if he should come again in the coming days, or she would, we should die and be in his presence, are you, O Lord, going to stand in his presence and fall before his feet and cry out, My God, my Lord and my God? Will he receive you into his kingdom, the kingdom of God? Or... Will you be cast into eternal condemnation, hell? Because this Christ child came to save sinners. And the call this morning to each and every one of us is to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. For with the heart, with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses that he is Lord. Confess him as Lord. Confess him as Savior. Confess him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you will know life and life eternal. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ the Lord has come. He is come. And He will come again. And that you, by your grace and mercy, have called us to be a people to yourself, a holy nation, a holy priesthood. To call out to you and to give praise to your name. Because this Christ child is the Savior of the world. This Christ child is Lord, the Son of God and Son of Man. And it is this Christ child who has accomplished salvation once for all. And now he works at your right hand. He is no child. He is King and Lord. And he will come again. And we say, come Lord Jesus, come. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grant us your grace and wisdom and Spirit's help as we seek to be salt and light, especially in this time of year where there is much darkness and grief and mourning and hopelessness. We pray, O oh God, that you would use us to be a people who preaches the gospel of reconciliation that indeed this Lord and Savior has died for sinners and that through him we have forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting. We have life and light. We pray this in Jesus' name.